Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So we are uh, finishing up our um, series on uh, gospel, and uh, we've been in this series for uh, this month, the month of Easter, and gospel means the good news. And um, we worked work through an acronym this month that I wanted you to pick up on in just one opportunity, one way um, to think about the gospel. But it's God, our sin, paying everyone life. God created us to be with him. Our sin separated us from God. Um, uh, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. Life that is eternal begins now and lasts forever. And so walking through that and remembering that short acronym allows us to be able to have conversations that point to Jesus Christ for people. Um, As we shared last week, we talked about um, some protesters at Towson and the, their, their messages and approach and everything, it, it doesn't begin with the good. It doesn't begin with how God began the story. It only begins with, let me tell you how uh, messed up you are and jacked up you are and how wrong you are, and here's all the, the sins that I want to point out um, that are bigger than other sin. And uh, the reality is, is that there is none of that. In, in the scripture, um, all sin hurts God. All sin uh, defies him. All sin uh, separates us. And no, no one is perfect. No, not one. So there's nobody walking around on planet Earth that you're going to bump into. I don't care what kind of uh, clergy they are or what kind of books they read or how much they've been in the church. Um, there's nobody walking around that's got this thing completely figured out and is without sin. And so as a result, we're all kind of in the same boat. And so in the same boat, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to just simply share the good news of Jesus. And that means that some are going to uh, receive and jump in and get it. Some will later, and maybe their interaction with you, it wasn't all uh, figured out or they didn't really completely get it. Or maybe you're just not the one that's going to deliver the goods at the end of the day, and that's okay. Um, We've got to get to the place to where we will share Christ without fear, but we will also share Christ without condemnation and judgment and hurt towards people. And so that's really what the series is about, is sharing the good news uh, of Jesus. And so uh, coming off of Easter, we have the question, now what? Uh, now what? When you, when you come out of Easter, Easter's this pinnacle moment in the Christian calendar, and, and, and we say, man, that, what, a, what a great you know, Easter time, and he's risen and everything. And, and on Monday, he was still risen. And on Tuesday, he was still risen, and Wednesday and Thursday, and I met with uh, some pastors that wanted to get together and just share how their life was going at that time, and somebody asked me, they were like, hey, how was your weekend? I was like, he's still risen, like, we got to do it again next week, and, uh, but, but just kind of this idea of like this, this big moment, this big event, this big, 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 and it's like, calm down. Like what really matters is discipleship over the long run. What really matters is life change that's happening. It, it doesn't just matter that you get a mass of people in one place. Tomorrow I can throw a, a couple hundred thousand dollars off of a bridge and I'm pretty sure I'll gather a crowd. Um, the issue is discipleship. The issue is what are we doing afterwards? When we first started the church, 
We started with, now we're uh, over in uh, Dundalk, and we have stuff going on in Africa and East Baltimore and all this. But when we started, it was uh, on Thanksgiving of 2008. My wife and I drove up from um, Virginia. We're from Baltimore, but we drove up from Virginia at the request of a mission agency that was planting us. And uh, that's kind of how we started. And over that next year, we basically just met people. In, in the community and just became friends with different people. And uh, ultimately, where, where we ended up settling is, is we found this, this niche at the time of, uh, of Towson students. And so during that summer, that next summer in um, 2009, before we launched the church, we were having these things called cook out and dig in. And literally all it was was I got a moon bounce and uh, a grill and I invited Towson kids that, that weren't home for summer or maybe they live locally, come hang out and let's, let's open up the Bible. And in the meantime, we'll have some music playing and you guys can goof off. And so we did that. And um, so in our uh, beginnings, we sat down and we worked through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is essentially the Acts of the Apostles. It's written by Luke, the same guy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, the book of Acts walks through what did they do after Jesus was risen. And the book of Acts is beautiful because you can sit down and read through and you just say, man, that's probably similar to what we should be doing. Um, because that, that's what the early church, the church closest to Jesus, what they were doing. So today I want to just start right back there in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And I want to talk through a few things today about what do we do now and what is our mindset now. And what is our mindset going forward as we're trying to share the hope and the love of Christ with other people? Is that okay by you? I hope so, because you're going to be here anyway. Acts chapter 1, here we go. Acts chapter 1, it goes a little something like this. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he's like, you know what, after, what next? After Jesus began to uh, talk to the apostles, Jesus began to show himself uh, with many proofs. Jesus began to show that he was a risen king, that he wasn't just dead and in the grave. He didn't just die for your sins, but he actually rose again. And so that's what, what was going down at the time was this fact that, that, you know what, Jesus is a risen Lord. He's a risen Savior. He's not in the tomb. He's not dead. And that's good news for you and for me. For you and for me, it's good news to know that, you know what, there's lots of people that saw Jesus rise from the dead. Otherwise, all, all what happened was a good man died for other people. And you know what? Any of us in this room, if you wanted to, you could lay down your life for another person. You could do that. I could do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're God. And so the fact is, is that what, what identified Christ as special, separate, set apart, was the fact that he rose again and the fact that he testified to people. And then ultimately what ended up happening is all of these apostles ended up dying a martyr's death. They said, hey, we want you to, to admit that that's not true. Admit that you're a liar. Admit that it's false. And they said, no, we can't do that. In uh, Sri Lanka, stories came out this past week that the, the students were um, learning about martyrdom right, right at Easter time. And one of the teachers in the classroom in Sri Lanka that morning had um, asked the students, would you be willing to die for Christ? Like, do you really believe in eternity enough? And that was the, the kind of the theme teaching. 
And, and ultimately, that's what happened is that in the, because only because they claimed the name of Christ, that was enough to say, hey, we're, we're going to take you out. That was it. Just simply because they claimed the name of Christ. But all of the early apostles, they died a martyr's death. They could have said at any time, no, 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 it's not true. We just kind of got together and wanted to make up a new religion. But they didn't. They took it to the grave. And then it says that Jesus was seen by over 500. And then outside of that, ultimately, the, the Roman government even was taken over because Christianity was, had swept the nation. And the government itself couldn't hold it back. And so all of this happened not because just some guy died. There are people that die every day. All of this happened because the, the God-man died and rose again. And so he's saying all of this. He's saying, you know what? This is all what went down. And he presented himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart for, from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, quote, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, Israel was under occupation, and, and beforehand, before Easter, when we had, the, good, um, when we had the, the processional, we had Jesus marching in on Palm Sunday, when all of that went down, they thought, man, a political figure's coming. He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Israel's going to be back on top. And it didn't happen. He died, and he rose again. He came to his people, and he said, no, no, I'm talking about a bigger kingdom. And then his, his disciples gather around, and they're like, what, are, are we, is now the time? Like, we get it. We didn't understand you had to die, but now, now that you've died and you rose again, is, is, is now the time? And he goes on, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know. This is what's funny when you find uh, people that are, they're, they're swearing by a particular date when Christ is going to return. They're, they're, they're adding up numerology. They're figuring it all out. And they're like, oh, this is going to be it. And so conveniently, uh, they will accept Visa and MasterCard for you to go ahead and just send in your gift because you're not going to need your money anyway. The world's going to end. So you might as well make somebody rich, right? And so every time this goes down, what's really, really sad is that there are believers, there are people that believe in Christ that get fooled and bamboozled by this to say, you know what? I can know the day and the time. You won't. You won't. The moment you name a day and time is probably a good, good shot. That's not going to happen. It's not for you to know the days or the seasons of the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That uh, two men standing in white, men of Galilee, why are you looking up? Like, I would have needed a diaper. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I don't get that kind of stuff. So um, when, when, when Jesus was brought in, do you remember when Jesus was brought in, all of a sudden these angels show up and they're, they're there to pronounce it. And it's just like party time. Needed a diaper then. When Jesus was leaving, same sort of thing. It's God's pronouncement that, hey, these things are true. They're going to be happening. 
And so what now? What do we do now in light of Easter? What's the good news in light of Easter? What is the message that, is, is, that Jesus is trying to get across to you and to me as followers of him in Acts chapter 1? Well, let's go down. Verse 4 says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Some of us come from religious tradition that ignores the Holy Spirit altogether. Some of us come from a religious tradition that talks a lot about God the Father, talks a lot about Jesus the Son. We get all of that. But Holy Spirit of God, one-third of the Trinity, we kind of just ignore Others of us and with, with our church here, when I've gotten to know people that have come part of our church, what I've found is that some people come from um, more uh, maybe Catholic background or, or Presbyterian background, and then others come from a more um, Assemblies of God type background or Pentecostal type backgrounds, or some come from a, a Baptist background focused on the Word and, and as the primary, and the Assemblies of God um, pre, uh, focus a lot on uh, Pentecostalism and, and the, the work of the Spirit. And so what happens is, is, depending on what vein or what tradition that you're brought up in, many times the Trinity is the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, that's God. But many times our own conditions and our own bents in different uh, faith denominations emphasize one over the other. And in my faith tradition, it was true growing up. It was more Baptistic. And in my tradition growing up, the Holy Spirit was like the third wheel invited to the party. And it was kind of like we talked a lot about um, the Father, the Father, the Father. We pray in the name of the Father. We, we talk openly about the Father and the Father's good, the Father's will for us. And we talk a lot about Jesus. And hey, Jesus saves and Jesus redeems and Jesus forgives and Jesus heals. And we pray even in the name of Jesus as well. And, and then it's like, oh yeah, there's the Holy Spirit. And then others of you, you grew up in a, a tradition that was like, Holy Spirit's where it's at. Holy Spirit's where it's at. And, and, and we need to, to feel the Spirit and the presence. And the Word was almost ignored. It was almost like the Father's Word for us was kind of set aside. It's like, well, you can kind of just feel it. And whatever you feel like God tells you, then just live in that. Because that must be true. Because you felt it. And so what happens is what's dangerous is that when we fall in love with just one part of the Trinity... It's similar to if somebody falls in love with just one part of who you are. You're a complex being. In fact, some who know you best will probably say you're a complicated being. And sometimes the people that know us best, what do they say? They turn and they go, who are you? right? Like this is, this is out of character. And you're like, no, this is completely in character. Like I'm completely this way. Wake up and get to know me right? But we do this to God all the time. Many of us, we're just like, man, I, I, I want to hear from the Father, so I'm going to read the Father's Word, and, and I'm in love with Jesus, but I don't know who the Spirit is. Or some of us are in this room, you're just like, man, I'm all about the Spirit. I just want to dance in the Spirit, and I want to, I want to grab, you know, uh, batons and swing and dance, and I want to grab flags, and I just want to be in the Spirit's moment, and, and, and I don't really need to dig in the Word too much. I don't really need to read the Scriptures. I just feel it. It's like, that's indigestion. So, it's a joke. So relax. Here's the thing. But we, what we got to do is understand all of this works together. All of this is, is God's expression to us. And so maybe for some of us today, when you come across a passage that says that the Holy Spirit was left for you, you say, okay, well, 
truthfully, I, what does that mean? What, what, how does the Spirit's role work in my life? And today, I just want to give you a little bit of a primer right here at the intro. But some of us also might go, you know what? It's been a while since I've been in touch with the Spirit of God. And, and maybe what I need to do is I, I need to pray and I need to invite the Spirit of God into my life. And so maybe today would just be a good way because you have a faith tradition that taught you a lot about the Spirit's power. And it's not indigestion. It's really walking by the Spirit. It's really seeking the Lord through the Spirit of God in you. And maybe you've missed that. And so I don't really mind what angle you're coming to, to God from, but I just want us all to get there. And so today he says, you know what, the, the Jesus said that, that but I baptize, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you're writing down notes today, write this down, or if it's in your Bible app, you can use that. When you trust Christ, God's presence takes up residence. Can you all say presence? Presence, God's presence takes up residence in you. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, the promise is, is that the Holy Spirit of God moves in. And when you create room by your surrender, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Whenever we talk about um, praying to receive Christ around here, what we're talking about is we say, you know what, admit that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I know that I am. Well, then what are you going to do with your sin? You're, you're, you're stuck. You have a holy God who, who looks down and says, look, I love you to death, but I, I can't have that sin come with you. What are you going to do? Are you going to be held accountable to God with that sin? Are you going to own that sin and just walk proudly with that sin? Or are you going to lay down and surrender that sin? And so you admit that you're a sinner. You believe something about that sin. You believe Christ died for that sin that you don't have to be held accountable because Christ will jump in your place and be held accountable for you. So I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died for that sin. And then I confess something. I confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my sacrifice. You are the one that removes my sin and redeems me in your name. And so my hope and faith and trust and confidence is not in me. It is in the Spirit of God that is in me. I believe that Jesus died and rose again and gave me the Holy Spirit of God to take up residency in this life. And so what that looks like is it's I surrender who I was. I open up my life and I say, God, I don't need to be in control anymore. I'm going to let you lead me. But then with that empty space where I've just surrendered that over to God, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residency and says, you know what? I'm going to fill that void in your heart that, that their, their sexual promiscuity used to feel. At whenever you would get in that moment, it, it filled you for a moment. The scripture says that sin is fun for a season. And if you bump into somebody that says, oh, girl, sin ain't fun, just smack them. Just, no, don't do that. That's, that's called assault. Don't, don't hit people. But it's not true. It's not true. When somebody says, oh, sin's not fun. Yeah, it is. It's actually a, a lot of fun. But the issue is it's filling up a void that you need to be filled by God's spirit. And so the way salvation works is that when you surrender your sin, when you surrender your selfishness, when you surrender your pride, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I'm opening this up and I'm emptying out all that is not of you. But the Holy Spirit says, you don't have to be empty. I will take up residency. And so suddenly, what's available to me now 
is instead of that sin fulfilling me for a season, or instead of that sin fulfilling me for the night, or instead of the sin fulfilling me at the bottom of the pill bottle, or at the bottom of the the alcohol bottle, instead of sin fulfilling me, or instead of sin fulfilling my pride and my ego because I want to be right, now I have the Holy Spirit that takes up residency. And now all of a sudden it becomes Spirit of God. I want this. And the Holy Spirit says, Tolly, what, what, what is it that you're wanting? Well, I'm lonely. And, and I won't be lonely if I go and do this sin. And the Spirit of God says, Tolly, you're not alone. Spirit of God, I, 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 I want to forget my problems. So if, if, I, if I get completely plastered, then I'll, just, I'll have a night where I don't have to think about it. And the Spirit of God, it takes up residency and you says, it's going to be temporary. Your problems will be there tomorrow. How about you work with me and I'll help you to, to, to have victory over your problems. I'll give you a new mindset. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new outlook. I'll give you a new hope. I'll give you a new vision for the future. I'll give you a new preferred future so that you don't have to yearn for things that are not in, in, in my will for you anymore. And I'll fill you that way. So God says, you know what? If you let go of that sin, I will fill you and I'll fill every need that you have. But you've got to be willing to talk to me. So he goes in and he says, you know what? You're going to be uh, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The phrase Holy Spirit occurs 90 times in the New Testament and and, and three times in the Old Testament. The phrase occurs 41 times in the book of Acts. Out of 90 90 times in the New Testament, 41 of them are right here in the book of Acts. So what does it look like when when a follower of Jesus begins to be a follower of Jesus? It's pretty obvious we're also a follower of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God takes up residency in every human heart that will allow Christ to be the Savior, the leader, the forgiver, the healer of your life. The Holy Spirit takes up residency. He's not there. The Holy Spirit of God is not there to simply condemn you. In fact, Jesus said, that's not why I came. I did not come to condemn you. I I came to save you. And the Holy Spirit of God is not there to condemn you. But sometimes we confuse condemnation with conviction. And so when the Spirit of God begins to say, Tali, that's not the right path. Don't go down that road. Tali, that's that's not what I have for you. We feel condemned. Why? Because we've been conditioned. Many of us have been conditioned to not understand conviction. We've been conditioned that when somebody is upset with me, it means they've cut me off out of their life. And so we're so afraid of this idea that the Holy Spirit of God might say to us, Tali, I've got a better way for you. Just be patient. Let, let, let me unfold this in my time, in my due season. But many of us, we don't even talk to the Spirit of God. And when we do, we don't want to hear from God's Spirit. And you say, well, how do I know if I've heard God's Spirit? Many of us would call this our conscience. Many of us would use this expression, our conscience. And your conscience says, hey, don't, don't do that. That, that sixth sense that, that we describe, but we don't really have a, a textual understanding. It's just like, how did I know? It, it's almost in a similar way how somebody's looking at you from across the room. And then you just look up and you lock eyes and then they're embarrassed. It's like, how did I know without eyes that someone was looking my direction? 
It's in that same world. It's hard to explain, but it's absolutely true, and it's happened to all of us. It's universal. But with, with Christ, he basically takes that conscious void. Because without him, you're dead in your sin and your transgression, and so your conscience is seared. Your, your conscience just doesn't understand what right and what wrong might be. Your conscience begins to create new categories and new definitions. And this is why people, you could just say, how in good conscience could they do that? Because there's no good thing, there's no true thing as a good conscience without Christ. All we are at that point is just, well, let me find a group of people I agree with. Let me find who's going to uh, agree with me. Let me create a tribal atmosphere, and we'll decide what's good. That's what the world does. But the Spirit of God says, no, 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 no. Tolly, I don't really care. It's the Spirit of God just like our parents, right? What, what do your parents say when you're young? You're like, well, man, everybody was doing it. Yeah, exactly. You already know the rest, right? Like, it's like, well, if your friends jumped off a bridge... Because the Spirit of God looks down and says, Tolly, I don't really care what the culture you're in wants you to do. I don't really care what that pocket of friends wants you to do. I don't really care if it's acceptable among your work friends to go and do that. I don't really care about the people in the dorm if they agree or disagree. That, that, I'm not here for that. I'm not here. The Spirit of God is not here to just listen to the ways of the world and decide if it's good or not. No, no, no. The Spirit of God says, I am the plumb line. There is a righteous way that leads to health and growth and, and joy in Jesus. And then there's a way that leads to death and destruction. I don't want you to walk down the road that leads to death and destruction. So the Spirit of God will convict you about things, even if the pocket of people around you all say it's okay. One step further, Paul in the New Testament, when he talks about things like at their early, in the early church, they were having to deal with, what about eating meat? And so Paul understood this even in that moment to say, you know what? For some of you, the Spirit may tell you it's okay to eat meat. The Gentiles had no problem with it. It was the, the former Jews. And so he said, for some of you, the Spirit of God's going to convict you and say, it's okay. And for some of you, the Spirit of God's going to say, no, no, no. And then the other thing, here's, then the other thing, he says, you know what? When you enter a room and, and, uh, other people have chosen that, that, you know what, this isn't okay for us. Even if you have freedom, hear me out. Even if you have freedom to do it, for the sake of the others, let your freedom go so that you can enjoy fellowship. You say, well, I don't have any friends that have a problem with me eating a hamburger. <laughs> but you know what might, might help you, might better relate when we talk about the Spirit of God? Drinking alcohol. We, you, might come, you might have friends that are struggling with alcohol addiction. You may have a personal belief that says, it's not that big a deal. I'm okay. You consult with the Holy Spirit of God and say, gee, I've got a friend who I love. I've got a brother. I've got a sister here. Simply because I have freedom, should I, Spirit of God, use or abuse my freedom in front of somebody that's battling addiction. Is it a break in the law? Is it, is it horror? No. But when you seek the Spirit of God, the Spirit will help you navigate that and help you love that brother and care about that brother more than you care about your freedom. Does that make sense? And so the Spirit of God comes on all of us. I want to give you a couple of verses, and I've got to speed this up. 
2 Corinthians 1, now he who establishes us with you in Christ, anointed us, is God, who also sealed us, everybody say sealed us, sealed us, and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So until Jesus comes back, he says, the spirit of God will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Look at another one, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. Everybody say sealed. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge. Do you see that again? As a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The spirit of God is given to you as a pledge to seal you, to assure you that you know him and you're walking with him. And, and here's how we know in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, when you read those, the whole deal is about, hey, do you know you're in Christ? How do you know you're in Christ? You go read 1, 2, and 3 John and it'll answer itself. But I'll go ahead and give you the Cliff Notes version. It's you know me if you obey me. And if the Spirit of God is in your heart and in your life and, and leading you, then you know Jesus if you're obeying Jesus. You know the Spirit of God if you'll obey the Spirit of God. If you'll relinquish your, your pride and your flesh and you'll put that aside and listen to the Spirit of God in your life. I do this with my kids all the time. I'm raising my children. Here's the deal. I really believe this is, is where, where I'm, I don't think I'm old school. I just think I've been to school. It, I'm raising them to uh, leave and, and start their lives. So there's a clock that at a certain time, they're going to be adults and be responsible. And so even now, even this week with my kids, I say, here's what I believe you should do. The danger of you doing the opposite, it will come with consequence, maybe even not by me, but I don't believe you should do that thing. But at the end of the day, because there's a boundary here that's not violating me and not violating a big sin issue, I'm going to let you make the choice. And that's the beautiful thing that God gives all of us as his kids. It's the spirit of God similar to a parent that says, hey, you know what, Tolly? I don't think you should do that. Now, am I going to tie you down and I'm going to give you in a car accident to make sure you can't go do that? Thing? No. But when people sit back and they go, well, I, it, God must be for it because he allowed it in my life. No, no, just because he allowed something to happen doesn't mean he's pro that thing. It might be that you push through three warnings by the spirit of God and you still got yourself into that dump. And then you turn around and you go, God, where are you? He's like, I'm back at the exit I told you to take, bro. Like, like I'm, I don't know where you are. But the spirit of God in us allows us to say, you know what? As I'm about to make this decision, Spirit of God, what would you have me to do? Jesus, what would you have me to do? Father, what would you have me to do? But many of us, we're in our consequences because we've plowed through three and four and five times when the Spirit of God told us, stop. And then we get in a ditch and we get mad at God. I, I had a wonderful meeting. She's in here today, so I'm not going to embarrass her, but I had a wonderful meeting this week. And... Uh, this young woman said to me, Pastor, now I know where I was. And God didn't send me there. And I got there because I'm a hardhead. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best counseling session I've ever had in my life. 
Because the Spirit of God is there to seal you. The Spirit of God is there to give you wisdom. 2 Corinthians 5.5, Now he who prepared for us the very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Ephesians 4, uh, 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Conviction, wisdom, comfort are all coming to you from the Holy Spirit of God. One of you this week, one of your practices might be that you change your prayer life for a week. Just change your prayer life for a week. Maybe your habit is, dear Father. Maybe your habit is, dear Jesus. Change your prayer life for one week. Remember, God is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What if you prayed, Holy Spirit, how should I treat this person? Holy Spirit, should I take that job offer? Holy Spirit, should I, how should I respond? Holy Spirit, I'm tempted right now. I want to do something my own way. But talk to God as Holy Spirit and see if it doesn't change your perspective on things. Verse 6, Acts 1, 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But the Father said by his own authority, but you will receive power with the Holy Spirit. With God's presence comes God's power through the Holy Spirit. With God's presence comes God's power. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far and abundantly all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. The power of God is at work within you with the Holy Spirit of God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. That's one of the most powerful passages of the Bible that I have in, in, in my day-to-day life. Is it is God in me. It is the Spirit of God in me who wills me to do the things I don't want to do. My flesh does not will. My flesh does not want to obey God. My flesh wants to obey Tully. And I kind of like the decisions that my flesh wants to do. But it's the Spirit of God in me who gives me the will and the want to act according to his good pleasure. And so you and I, we have to check and say, hey, Spirit, I want to go this route. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Our power doesn't come from information, but by transformation. Our power doesn't come from more information. Did you notice what they wanted? Did you notice what they wanted? They said, is now the time? Can you give me the details? Can you give me the details? Do you guys ever know somebody at work who just hoards details? Like they just hoard information? And you're just like, well, why didn't you tell me that was it? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I just figured all of us knew. It's like you're a jerk. You were just trying to get power by your information. If you, if you know more than other people, and if you hold it back, then they're required to come talk to you. And so here, the disciples, the, the apostles, they were saying, you know what? Is now the time? Like, give us some deets here. Like, you died and you rose again. All that's cool. But are we, are we ready to take over? And Jesus was like, you know what? You want power by information. I want you to have power by transformation. Some of us, you're spending too much time trying to figure your way out of your problem. And sometimes you got to just stop and say, you know what? I'm not going to get there by more information. I'm going to get there when my heart's transformed. I'm, I'm going to get there when the Spirit of God leads me to where I need to be going. 
And that doesn't mean that, that you don't gather information. But every single one of us that use WebMD has ended up with cancer on paper, right? <laughs> like, information will just drive you down this rabbit hole where it's like, I'm gathering, blah, 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 and you're the cookie monster of information. And it doesn't lead you to anywhere but a belch. And you've got to slow down and say, hey, you know what? I need to be transformed. In my dealings with this person, I could have all the information in the world, but they may not respond the way that I want them to respond simply because I have more information. But what if I was transformed in how I was dealing with them? What if I was able to be self-aware and to look inside? What if, hmm, what if I had access to someone who was perfect and pure and loved every ounce of me that could give me perspective on me? Hmm. What if I could take the advice of a third party that knew me, loved me, knows how I'm wired completely, knows every thought that goes through my brain. What if I could seek advice from a third party? Hmm, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? That's what God gives us through the Holy Spirit, is to say, Lord, I've got these decisions. Lord, I feel anxiety. I feel stress. Lord, I feel lonely. Lord, I feel abandoned. Lord, when that person said that thing to me, it reminded me of something 15 years ago. Lord, would you give me wisdom? Lord, when I open up the Bible, I don't understand what this junk means. All of these are products and power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And he is that third party that can give you perspective on you that you don't even need, know that you need. This world would be a whole lot better if we would all be a little more humble a lot more humble, and seek after the Spirit of God to guide our interactions. Our power doesn't come from information. It comes from transformation. Last and not least, Acts 1.8. So why, did, why, he, why does he say what Jesus could have done all? This is the crazy thing like, that, I, that I pick up out of the Bible all the time. You do realize like Jesus healed some people just by saying so. Hey, you're healed. All of a sudden, they roll out and they're healed. But then other people were blind, and Jesus like spat in dirt and made mud, and rubbed mud in their face. And I'm always—it's always funny to me because I'm just like, well, if you can heal one just by saying it, like, why do you need to rub mud in another dude's face? Like, it's kind of rude. Your spit, your saliva—I know you're God and all, but it's still spit. Like. <laughs> And I get, I get caught up, I don't know about you, but I get caught up on like the mechanics of stuff. Like, why did he do that? Jesus could have died, rose again, took everybody home, called it a day. So why did he, why did he send this message to multiple generations away? In fact, in John 17, he prays for those who would hear this message but never, ever see him, you and me. He prays for us. So he knew, he foreknew ahead of time, he knew that you and I would be here today. And he knew he was going to do this thing called leave the Holy Spirit as a seal for you until the day that you're risen again and you meet him in heaven. He, he knew this. 
So why did he give us his presence through the Holy Spirit? And why does he give us his power through the Holy Spirit? Why did he do this? Because I get caught in the whys. Look, verse 80 says, you're going to receive my presence. You're going to receive my power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why did he give you his presence? Why did he give you his power? He did all of that. God's presence and God's power are given for a purpose. What is that purpose? To witness. To witness. Right there as he's describing the fact that the spirit of God's going to come, he says, you're going to have my presence in you, Tali. And my presence is in you through the Holy Spirit of God. And if you get to know the spirit of God in you, you're getting to know me. You're getting to know my heart. And if you'll surrender your will and you'll surrender your wants and you'll surrender your opinions and you'll surrender your ways, then I'll restock that joint. And I will fill up the aisles of the shelf of your heart. And I will help you to have a go-to that's not your own. My presence. And I'll give you power. I'll give you power to will and to act in ways that you normally wouldn't will and act. I'll give you power to believe in a, in a God of all creation that, that will save and rescue and redeem. I'll give you power so that you can be more humble and you could submit yourself to other people. I'll give you power to say, I'm sorry. I'll give you power. But why did God decide to give you his presence and to give you his power? What was his Motive. He had a purpose. His presence and his power are for a purpose, and that is for you to witness. Can you say witness? Witness. He says, you will be my witnesses, and then he names some geographic locations, and I'm going to close with this. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Without going into the whole detail, I could spend a whole, uh, a whole hour, a couple hours a day talking about all this geography, but let me just go ahead and speed it up for you. Jerusalem, where the early church was, all the Jew Jews, a few Gentiles that mixed in early on, but it was like home base for the Jewish believers. So you know what he, was, we say, what he was saying is, I want you to be a witness among people like you and near you. So right where you are, your own home, your own neighborhood, the people that are like you and near you, no matter where you go, you end up in a pocket of people. When I'm, I'm here in Towson, I know a general type of Cosmo type of crowd that's going to come to our Towson location. Congratulations, I just called you Cosmo. But, but I also know that when I go over to, to the Dundalk location in a little while, it, it's a different location. So what does it mean? It means that you need to be a witness to the people right around you. Some of you are on college campuses right now, and you know who you're to be witnesses to? The college campus. Some of you are in communities of people that are put off by the local church. You know where you're to be a witness? In those communities of people. And say, you know what? Not everybody's like that. Some of you are, are able to do jobs and have influence with different people. Influence them. Some of you are able to have influence with blue-collar people. Influence them. White-collar people. Influence them. Whoever you are, wherever you are, right where you are, you're to be my witness, he says. You're Jerusalem, you're the beginning place, closest place. Judea, Judea geograph uh, geographically was the wider uh, branch of a wider swath of people. But this is among people that are somewhat like you and somewhat near you. I've heard pastors say, hey, it's your city, it's your uh, nation, and then it's international. Whatever. The point is to be a witness. 
You, you pick it and you go and, and some, uh, um, um, among people somewhat like you and somewhat near you. The, the nation states of Israel had different types of people and, and really, really close to Jerusalem was a certain type of person. And then out on the, the, the branches, out in the byways and the highways, they were a different type of person. So the point is, is be a witness right where you are. Be a witness to the people that are not quite exactly like you are. And then it goes on to say, you know what? And be a witness to Samaria and the ends of the earth among people that are unlike you and not near you. Be a witness to them too. You know what we've done as, not, not necessarily we captivate because we've tried to fix this, but you know what the American church has done by and large? We have reversed this order, haven't we? We spend all of our time talking junk about what we're doing for those people way over there. But we're jacked up. The American church is jacked up. I don't know if you noticed this. The American church is dying and it's dying because we're jacked up and we're focused on the wrong stuff. And many people inside the church don't even walk with the Spirit of God. And so what we do is we say, well, how many missionaries are you supporting? Oh, we're supporting like 700 missionaries. Really? You got like 70 people coming to church. Like, how are you supporting 700 missionaries? Oh, well, we give them all a, a nickel. Okay. I mean, I'm being facetious here, but it's true. It, 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 it's, it's, we give everybody a couple dollars so that we can put their sign up. And then we do poverty tourism. I call it poverty porn. Some people find that offensive. But then what we do is we just do poverty tourism. We say, why are you going on this mission trip? I'm going to go visit these poor people and name your country. Really? You're just going to visit. You're just going to take pictures. He's just going to come back, tell everybody about what you did for Jesus, which was nothing. You were a tourist. But the scripture says, you know what? I want you to be a witness right where you are. I want you to be a witness to your neighbors. It excites me, but it, it infuriates me sometimes. Miss Colleen one of the reasons that people love Miss Colleen is that she's doing what every Christian knows they should be doing. Loving your neighbors. Having people in her home. Becoming friends with whoever will be friends with her. And the church at large, they're like, oh, Miss Colleen's awesome. And she is. But Ms. Colleen will tell you, I don't want to be thought of as that awesome. I kind of just want to be thought of as what all Christians are thought of. I just want to listen to the Spirit of God and witness to my neighbors. And so we're commanded to do this in Acts 1. Our goal isn't to win. Our goal is to witness. Our goal isn't to win anything. Our goal is to witness. I was, um, I told you, brought up in a, a Baptist background. And out of all the options that I have, Baptist still fits the most. And, but I'll tell you, one thing that bugged me since I was a little kid was this expression, soul winning. 
And what they mean is sharing the gospel with people and people meeting Jesus. But do you know what it turned into? It turned into this, this zero-sum game of like winning. And so everybody, it's like duck hunt. Everybody became a target. Let me see if I can win you to Jesus. Let me see if I can win you. Can I win you? You know how many souls we won to Christ? And it's like, time out, bro. It's not duck hunt. People are not yours to win. People are there for you to love. And if you love them, and if your life is constituted in such a way that what you say and what you do and who you are on the inside all matches up, it all aligns, and you're following the Spirit of God, and your hope is in Jesus, the Son of God, and you read the Word of God from the Father of God, if all of that lines up and you're true to the core of who you are, then they may come and say, I I want that. I I want the Jesus you know. but we're not in this to win anything. We're not in it to to win and to try to be the biggest or the baddest church in town. I've told people often that the choices we've made at this church have been driven towards mission and loving as many people as possible, not gathering as many people as possible in one room. There's no way we could be in Africa right now There's no way we could be in East Baltimore. There's no way we can be in Dundalk if the choices that I made along the way were to say, well, let's grow this one to a bigger pile of manure first. I don't want to do that. I don't don't want to grow a big pile of fertilizer. I don't want to grow a big pile of salt all in one spot. What I want to do is I want to be able to cast as much salt in as far places as possible so that we could really be the salt of the earth. We could really make a difference. But I can't go to the third step, Samaria and to the ends of the world, if we can't follow Jesus in this first step, right in our own backyard. So I pray to God that you and I this week, thank you for your grace and your time and attention this morning, but I pray to God this week that you and I would say, you know what? I need to be right with the Spirit of God. I need to walk under the Spirit's power. I need to love God's presence in my life. And it's all for a purpose. I need to be a witness to my neighbors. How do I be a witness? Guess what? The weather's about to break. We should have the most cookouts per capita of any church on the planet. We should play the most cornhole. We should play, have the most fun. We should be out and about and getting to know people. We should spread the most love of anybody. And over time, through that, hopefully, who you are matches what you say you are. And people will say, hey, I'd like to get to know the God that you know. We're not here to win anything. But we are here to be a witness.